Welcome to Health 4.0 Leadership Podcast. My name is Namrata Bagaria, and we are in Ottawa-based Virtual Institute. Our today's guest is Dr. Shabnam Daskar. She's a functional medicine consultant based in Calgary. Welcome, Shabnam. Hi, Namrata. Thank you so much. So, Welcome to the Health 4.0 Podcast. Thank you for having me as a guest on your podcast. Thank you for starting the podcast as well. It's so exciting. It's my pleasure. So Shabnam, can you explain to us uh, where are you contributing in the present health ecosystem? In what capacity and what are your top three mandates? Okay, thank you. So I am by background a physician from India. So I was working as an OBGY for many years. So I was delivering babies, doing surgeries, and I spent most of my professional life in Mumbai, in India, until we moved to uh, Calgary in Alberta, Canada a few years ago. So from funct- uh, being an OBGY, I have moved to becoming a functional medicine consultant now. So I did a, an online fellowship from the US. So functional medicine is essentially looking at the whole patient rather than looking at individual systems. and Uh, Our treatment protocols usually start with lifestyle first. Along with that, we we have recommendations for medication. Sometimes it is supplements. Sometimes it could be mind-body interventions and a lot of different areas we look into. And personally, I feel, Namrata, your concept of uh, health 4.0 is absolutely synergistic to what I do as a functional medicine consultant. Mm -hmm. And that is why I found the whole concept so interesting. And at present, I uh, have an online health and wellness company called um, MDS Program, Mm -hmm. which um, I co-founded along with my associates. So our company is from Alberta. Mm -hmm. And I also have a medical practice in India, which I run through uh, teleconsulting. Mm -hmm. And I work with a physician in the same field in Calgary as well. Okay. That's a long introduction. And my three mandates. Well, that was, it was difficult. Mm-hmm. So, uh, over the course of the last few years, you know, in my journey, of course, I'm learning practically every day. Uh, one of the things that, again, this is my personal opinion, it's not gone through any validation or any of that. What mm-hmm. I feel is in terms of health, if we mm-hmm. can, you know, dial in the basics of good health, and everyone knows what the basics of good health are. Mm-hmm. The problem is how do we implement that? So my three top three mandates would be number one, focusing on sleep. Mm-hmm. Sleep is major and mm-hmm. for various reasons, I'm not going into all that now. Mm-hmm. And next comes eat. So I have a, I have an acronym that I use for my, you know, for my patients. It's called SEMM, S-E-M-M, mm-hmm. sleep, eat, move and mind body intervention. So there's a fourth one. <laughs> So when you talk about eat, it's not like, you know, going on a diet for two weeks and eat this and don't eat that. Mm-hmm. What we focus on is how can you have, uh, make the best choices for food? And mm-hmm. this is long term. It's not like for, you know, four weeks, eight weeks, you do something different and then you go back to eating food that wasn't really helping you. Mm-hmm. And there are different, different things we look at. It's like, our focus is more on eating real food rather than food like substances, mm-hmm. eating food as nature made it and find, figuring out a way on what is helping you. Mm-hmm. And the other things that we look at is, you know, everything has to work in context to your life. 
And another area on our program that we focus on is time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. So I'll uh, send you a link to our website so that I'm not going into details right now. Sure. So sleep, eat, move. Now, everyone knows that we need to exercise, but you know, weight loss is definitely not one of the goals of exercising. How I describe it is exercise is like, uh, you know, you have a very expensive car, like a Ferrari, and all you're doing with that is just taking it for shopping in the you know, nearby mall. <laughs> Your okay. Ferrari can do a whole lot more than that. So that's exactly what exercise is. Okay. One of the primary uh, you know, goals that we have is to make people aware that a lot of us spend a lot of time sitting continuously. And mm -hmm. Namrata, I'm sure you relate to that as well. I am still working on it. I still sit a lot. Mm -hmm. So... Sitting continuously is one of the major health risk factors nowadays. Mm -hmm. So move, when we talk about movement, yes, it is exercise. Exercise is important for your brain, for your you know, long-term health, for mobility, all those things that we want to focus on when we talk about longevity. But more importantly, uh, a lot of my patients have this problem of continuous sitting. I want them to focus on not sitting continuously. So that is why our focus is more on movement rather than specific exercises. And I'm not a specialist in exercise anyway. Mm -hmm. So sleep, eat, move. And the fourth component, of course, is mind-body intervention. Mm -hmm. um, so that is the added one that I added to your the top three mandates. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Now what you say is kind of very helpful for our listeners because a lot of the times people wonder what is health 4.0 and Health 4.0 is nothing but making an ecosystem which can ensure you have personalized health using technology, using traditional medicine, using alternative medicine, using lifestyle, using actual medicine, uh, upgrading health systems. All this together is Health 4.0. So I think your top three mandates, which you mentioned, are very much in sync with what Health 4.0 is. And uh, since you've mentioned, you've been through a big, big, big journey, not just... Um, in terms of geography, but also in terms of changes in what you practice and what you believe in. Because both of us have been trained in medicine and there are a lot of things we don't get taught enough or emphasized enough. So what were your three challenges or what were your learnings or what were your takeaways from this journey and how are you proceeding further? Thank you, Namrata. So I can actually probably continue talking until kingdom come. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> <laughs> One of the biggest uh, you know, paradigm change in thinking was, as you rightly pointed out, both of us were trained as physicians in India. Mm -hmm. And as you know, uh, as physicians, we start specializing in you know, less and less. So as an OBGY, as I always say, I'm a below the belt person. So my area of focus was only the uterus tubes, ovaries, you know, and the female reproductive system. Mm -hmm. From that to move into functional medicine and start thinking of the whole person mm -hmm. rather than one system was mm -hmm. like that's been a long process and mm -hmm. it's of course I mean today it's been quite a few years now but I understand because in traditional medicine our thinking has been more reductionist it's like okay someone has high blood pressure so these are the medications I can put that person on mm -hmm. versus in functional medicine what we look at is what are the possible causes mm -hmm. yes we don't always find a definite cause but if that person is not sleeping well and is dealing with, you know, severe stress at, at their workplace or something like that, mm -hmm. putting them only on a medication is not going to do the whole job. Mm 
And I'm not saying I'm against medication. Uh, my approach is always medication along with other things, what works best. So mm -hmm. it's not pro-medication, anti-medication or any of that. Someone who has a high blood pressure, 180, 100 is not going to you know, drop that blood pressure with just lifestyle uh, interventions alone. So they may need both. But at the same time, from the reductionist approach of thinking, okay, one drug, one disease, one drug, or a bunch of drugs, versus looking at the person, the entire life, what is the context, what, what was their childhood like, what were the early life experiences, did they grow up in a home with a lot of you know, domestic violence, did they go through a lot of stress, all those things have a huge impact. And back when I was a, a OBGY, we never looked at any of those areas. That has been a big change in my thinking. So instead of looking at one system and you know, one set of organs, I'm looking at the whole person and everything is connected to everything else. And that is where Namrata, your concept of, you know, health 4.0 comes in so beautifully. We are looking at, you know, the system of uh, network of networks, sorry. So the system biology approach to the whole person. So mm -hmm. that was one of the big, uh, big change in thinking for me. Mm -hmm. The other area, which is something that I'm really excited about now, came from the use of you know technology one of the things is of course my teleconsulting mm -hmm. so if it if we didn't have teleconsulting i wouldn't have been able to run a, me a medical practice in india sitting in calgary mm -hmm. that was another big one and some of the other learnings have actually come from some of my patients mm -hmm. so this was quite a few years ago i remember a patient came into our office in um, calgary and uh, he was very much into fitness and all of that. So he was very proud of his resting heart rate. Now, resting heart rate is, the, is a very big um, biomarker for long-term health. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what he told me, so he was wearing an, a device and I asked him, I said, what insight did you get from you know, wearing that? He said, oh, you know what? I realized that if I drink three glasses of wine instead of one glass of wine, my resting heart rate goes up. I don't like that. So I'm not going to drink three glasses of wine. Mm -hmm. And it suddenly struck me that here I am talking about, I, I didn't even know how much alcohol he, he had, you know, usually, because we usually ask that as a part of our intake process. Mm -hmm. But sometimes later on, we don't remember to ask if anything has changed. You know? <laughs> I would have had no way of knowing that. And more importantly, what I found is when people see their own data versus someone else telling them. So we all know that you know, alcohol would adversely impact his sleep, his you know, resting heart rate and all of that. But knowing that theoretically versus him actually experiencing it from his own device was a huge difference. And I thought, oh, here, you know, I, I'm seeing a patient who's coming into the office or seeing me on, you know, teleconsulting, that's for just a short span of time. So that's like getting a screenshot versus someone using a wearable device and all that invaluable information there. That's like getting a video. So there's a huge difference between the two. And more importantly, what I realized is people, when they have their own information, that makes them you know much more responsible for their actions and behavior modification mm -hmm. then there was another another patient this was again many years ago in mumbai i remember uh, his um, he was about 60 65 years old mm -hmm. and his family thought he was losing his memory so very likely early dementia mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so they brought him in and I was trying to figure out, because I'm not trained in treating dementia or, you know, I'm not a neurologist or any of that. But mm-hmm. so my perspective comes from a functional medicine perspective. I thought, okay, what can I get him to do different? So we got the labs done. He was not a diabetic. So all those usual stuff, blood pressure and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Then I said, okay, what can I ask him to do? Because I have to give him some baby steps. And mm-hmm. I, I realized he was not somebody who was, you know, moving around a lot because his children, uh, his sons and daughters told me he's to spend a lot of time watching TV. So I told them, I said, can you get him, a, you know, a low cost wearable where we can at least measure his number of steps? Don't, no need to focus on anything else. So I said, let's get a baseline. So they did all that and they sent me the baseline report. So I said, okay, can you increase your daily step count by just 2000 every day? Don't focus on the, he was far away from the 10,000 steps a day. Mm-hmm. So again, after a month, they sent me his data and I realized there were a few days when he, he had reached eight to 10,000 steps. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, I said, what did you do different on those two days where, mm-hmm. where you reached those number of steps? He said, oh, I helped my wife with grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. So I had this idea. I said, okay, now can you go grocery shopping with your wife more often? so I realized this is a very different way of doing medicine versus what I was doing before okay these are the pills you need this is what you need to do no asking questions about you know are you comfortable doing this do you think Mm -hmm. there'll be any challenge with that none of that Mm -hmm. so that was one of my big takeaways then much later we started using continuous blood glucose monitoring. And so that gave us a whole lot more information. So I think I'm going to run out of time if I keep talking about all that. No, no, you're not. In fact, in fact, um, just been pointing more towards my next question was around technologies and apps being relevant and you're answering a lot of them. In fact, you answered one of the questions which I had was, what are the opportunities for collaboration in which you beautifully showed the opportunity to collaborate with a person using personal health devices. There has never been in uh, medicine a time before where you could treat a person or take a person as an equal who knows and understands and basically use technology as the, uh, the, the platform where the information is coming and you're giving feedback. And there are research uh, from world over, especially from Japan in, uh, in diabetes management, where getting a feedback from your wearables, from your doctor, or just getting like a teleconsult based on all that report makes a huge difference in compliance to exercises and to medications. So I think what you're, what you're saying is, is pretty much uh, uh, answering a lot of questions. Thank and, you, Namrata. No, no, it's absolutely. And, and where do you see the challenge in adopting this kind of a thing? Like if you design, if you design the new healthcare in this ways, where do you think would be the obstacles in such kind of adoption? Uh, so one of the areas I feel, and again, I, I always ask pay, people whenever they're wearing any, you know, any wearable device, I ask them, what insight did you get after wearing that? What, one of the things I realized is a lot of people are not focused on the information they have. Like I met a lady, she has challenge with sleep and she has a device that tracks sleep. I said, what did you learn from that? She said, oh, I don't wear it at night. I said, Why don't you wear it at night? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't think it was good to wear something to bed. I said, no, that's very valuable information there. So one of the challenges I think is, as you rightly pointed out, 
if a health, it doesn't even have to be a healthcare provider. If someone were to ask them, what did you learn from that? Or what do you think is, you know, what is helping you? What is not helping you? That is one of the big ones. And I'm sure you've read a lot of papers on wearables where, you know, oh, wearables are not really helping people, you know, improve their health. It's wearing something alone is not going to do that. Someone mm -hmm. has to ask them. Someone has to help them, you know, analyze that information. So one of the challenges that I realized, I said, okay, this is something I can start using for my patients. I realized that that's a lot of information. And Namrata, I am a clinician. I am not a numbers person. Exactly. So sitting with, you know, multiple Excel spreadsheets, one that contains their walking, their sleep, their, you know, uh, resting heart rate. Another one, because I ask people to monitor their blood pressures. Another you know, set of Excel spreadsheets with their blood pressure data. Then if I'm going to add, you know, continuous blood glucose monitoring to that, then I'm going to add their food, you know, tracking. Can you imagine the number of, you know, data points that I have to deal with as, you know, manually? So that yeah. was when I realized technology is so exciting in that field. And I realized I need collaborators who can help me with, you know, analyzing all of that. And as physicians, I think one of the things that happens or any, any healthcare provider for that matter, if it is too much information, not only does the user, the client, get overwhelmed it's also the provider who gets overwhelmed like which one am i going to look at first so one of the things that i realized and i've been you know talking to some people in, in the u.s about this so creating a beautiful dashboard which mm -hmm. simplifies the whole thing so that is one area where i feel that you know with all more and more information as time goes we'll have information on the gut microbiome your you know genetics genomes information wearable data social networks so all the multiple layers of information that's like a ton of information to go through manually so that is where technology would be a very big you know help to help us analyze all of that and say okay this is what is relevant for this person and the other interesting thing namrata i realized is people don't necessarily need a physician to tell them all this yeah like again like i always say i keep learning from my patients so here i was talking to a patient about his you know health challenges he couldn't eat this kind of food and that kind of food and i said one of the things i always recommend is people eat home cooked food particularly for my patients in india because the food cooked outside, one of the big things is the vegetable oils. Mm -hmm. So he said, oh, I don't know how to do that. My wife works, I work. And I said, oh, you could get you know, someone to cook for you. And so this is a patient in India, so it doesn't cost a lot for them to get someone to cook for them. Mm -hmm. After the consult, I thought, oh, this is like, this is not right. I mean, he shouldn't have to pay, a, you know, someone like me to tell him to get a cook at home. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I thought, what if I could, you know, make a lot of free educational stuff available on my website. I'm still not there. I'm trying a lot of stuff I have created already. But my point is you don't have to pay someone to tell you that you need to get someone to cook for you at home. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I realized that for me, that could be kind of intuitive and it's something I know. But for my patient, that wasn't. That was like new information. He said, oh, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, let me, let me, let me stop you here and like weave in some of my thoughts with what you're saying. Uh, as you were talking about technology and dashboards and convergence, there's a need for convergence of all the data. So 
you know, one of the projects that we're working in our lab is making digital twins of a person, which is basically taking all their data and creating this person digitally a replica. And definitely there is a lot of need for work from our end to work on visualizations, better visualizations, better representation so that the end user where the provider or person can see that information. And it also leads to smarter analytics, stronger machine learnings, algorithms, which can tell us, okay, I process X amount of data and this is what it means. This is what it doesn't mean. And um, so I think, so those kind of technological approaches are going on in research, at least I can say from my lab, which is a multimedia communication research lab at the University of Ottawa, headed by Professor El Sadiq. And second point coming to the concept of what you said is, okay, can I just tell him, okay, eat this. Now there's a huge difference when an app tells you, okay, you need to cook at home versus your physician saying you need to cook at home. And this is where the synergy comes where we can have in the future apps endorsed by doctors, content certified, because we do have those kind of uh, options available to show that the health information in this particular app or website is revised and legit. And also taking it a step further, having a bot or a personalized or like an avatar bot of you saying this, which automates a lot of stuff it makes it standard, but at the same time, it's not you who's saying it, it's using technology, but because it's represented and there's something I can relate to. And this is, this is what I feel has been my learning in my 10 years digital health uh, journey, you know? So, wow, that so, is, so Namrata, if you remember, I was so excited when we first chatted about, you know, your concept of digital twin. Yes. yes. So I didn't think of digital twins or anything like that. I thought, oh, all that, you know, tons and tons of information are going to be there on some server. And that server will have the ability to give us very customized uh, recommendations, which, mm -hmm. you know, as a physician, I don't have to go through tons and tons of, you know, mm -hmm. manually managing all that. Mm -hmm. Your idea of, you know, an avatar of a physician, that's really interesting. I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, and this is the reason we have this podcast series, because a lot of the times, uh, simple innovation comes from conversation. And I am privileged to have the access to a huge network of people who are interested in talking to me. And if anybody listening to this podcast can come up with the idea of having avatar of Dr. Shabnam Daskar, please connect with us and we'll be very happy to try it out with you. Because um, personally, uh, Shabnam, as I told you before, I myself have worked 10 years in the field and this was a lot of stuff like in my previous clients in consulting, I would do this with them, which is like, oh, you know what, this is great, but this needs personalization or like can we like they're like we're getting your brain right now but we're not getting your personality so a lot of times like in technology today they're hiring doctors and subject matter experts to make the algorithms or to make the patterns or to make the design but what's not there is the personality and the second thing is sometimes the personality of the doctor itself is now not very calming or appealing. <laughs> yes. In your case, it's, 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 it's amazing that you're warm and, you know, uh, bubbly and energetic, but a lot of doctors are not. And not no offense to anybody. So combining that feel-good factor with evidence base, with engagement, is what today's technology and tools can help us. 
And I think this is such a great uh, podcast episode because for me personally, sitting on the other side, and I know our users cannot see both of us and they can just hear us. Both of us, uh, by the way, are jumping in our chairs with ideas and excitement <laughs> because uh, honestly, uh, we both have the same background. So Shabnam is a OBGY and I trained in mother and child health and public health. And now I am a PhD in technology. Um, I'm going, I'm halfway through it. And Shabnam is someone who's working. So, so if you see the way even... Um, practitioners are approaching health or healthcare is there is a lot of need for interdisciplinary knowledge. A lot of us have got out of our comfort zones and there's also a, a value in uh, intergenerational collaboration. Shabnam and I come from different generations of doctors and uh, there's a lot of wisdom in her clinical experience and she gets super excited with my millennial techie behavior. So it's, it's a lot of fun having this collaboration. And uh, so Shabnam, we, we spoke about these obstacles, which is basically mind, sh uh, mind shift or mindset shift. And basically a lot of unknowns. Okay, how would that be? A lot of need for dialogues. What do you think would be the driver for this change? Like there's definitely a need. So what is the driver according to you or the motivation for this kind of adoption? Oh, that is an interesting question. And thank you, Namrata, for your wonderful words. Yes, I'm really excited about, you know, technology and what it can do for uh, for people. Like I always say, you know, technology is the great leveler because mm -hmm. my practice in India is like, I come from a developing country. So mm -hmm. I'm always thinking of, you know, things like in India, healthcare system is a little different where people have to pay for everything. Mm -hmm. So one of the uh, challenges I feel is going to be how much it costs because as you know well in India it matters how much it costs because insurance doesn't cover practically anything and mm -hmm. people have to pay out of their pocket mm -hmm. so if you are going to look at uh, and again technology because of scaling I am quite sure that we can make it you know much cheaper for people to be able to use that and uh, one of the things I feel and again this is from my clinical experience Nobody in their right mind wants to be unhealthy, right? Mm -hmm. What I feel is as physicians, probably where we fell short is our medicine has been more reactive than proactive. And mm -hmm. everyone tells me, oh, prevention, no one really wants to you know, prevent disease or prevent anything. I said, no, I think we are probably not getting it right. Mm -hmm. No one wants to be ill and, you know, sit in a, on a, in a wheelchair when they're 80 years old. They want to be engaged with life. So for us, the important thing is to make it easy for them to do something. And the other thing I feel is, you know, doing changing behavior should be something that should be easy to do. It, it mm -hmm. shouldn't involve a lot of friction. So design element comes in a big way and you mm -hmm. are much more you know, knowledgeable in that. I have no idea. And as you rightly pointed out, Namrata, all these conversations, so what I realized is I live in a bubble of a clinician and, you know, that small little bubble. And what is outside my bubble is what you are talking about. And I thought, oh, my goodness, they, all these things, I have no idea. There's one more area which I had no idea about until, you know, someone pointed out about gamification of lifestyle yes. modification. Yes. I had no idea about that. Yes. I thought, Why would you want, like, how can, do you think someone is going to be excited about getting one more badge? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I realized from my own experience, you know, when my um, Fitbit tells me that I have achieved 10,000 steps a day and, you know, all that, that vibration. And I realized, oh, I do like it. You know? 
<laughs> so, so as you were saying, the driver of change is is basically creating that aspiration to be healthy and yeah. actually resonating with that aspiration. Because I just spoke to a friend of mine, I think two days ago, and she's, she's again, another physician based in India. And she's like, the problem is we have health and medicine as the same definition. It has to be separated. <laughs> health is not medicine. Medicine yeah. is sick care. And uh, the words that you used were like music to my ears, because if you see the definition of health 4.0, it says it's a shift from mass reactive healthcare to personalized proactive care. And I wrote this definition a few, like this is from the chapter that I had published earlier this year. And I think what you said really hit the spot because if everybody else is saying the same thing, uh, it is something that we need to think about. And to people who, who are listening for the first time about the concept of uh, gamification, it's basically using game elements in your app or in some kind of way to motivate you. Like there are a lot of people who exercise using dance dance videos, they have Pokemon games. But uh, another interesting bit is my thesis is around design elements to improve oh, motivation. Wow. So what I am researching is what are the long-term uh, long-term ways to motivate a person to continuing exercise. And this comes from my own experience where there are days I exercise a lot. And now that uh, the whole world is in a pandemic and I'm at home, I found different ways to do my exercises. I'm not doing it every day. I do it probably alternate days. But uh, so there are different ways to motivate internal and external. And that's my thesis actually. So it's very interesting that what Chabnam pointed in two ways is resonating. And by the way, we didn't practice this script before, but this is a very spontaneous conversation. So we're learning about each other's interests too, as, as this conversation is going. Oh, through. yes. And I'm just loving it. So Namrata, from the design element, there's something else I'd like to point out, sure. which is, you know, uh, if you, and I'm looking at just wearable devices yes. uh, design, now, do you notice how ugly some of them look? Like, I don't see myself wearing some of them. So I think somewhere, and again, I don't want it to sound like a gender discrimination or anything like yeah. that. I don't know whether they include women when they think of yes. the design. Yes, I think that's a very fair point. I think a lot of it happens in this way. One is uh, gender inclusivity in STEM or, uh, you know, and that is yeah. the sciences, technology, engineering, medicine, or mathematics, sorry, <laughs> is is low. But more than that, a lot of times what happens is uh, the designs are done in an engineering environment or they're done in collaboration with a design school, but they're not necessarily go through, uh, like say for example, for watches, they don't necessarily go through like a, you know, a watch company, which is known for luxury designs. Like, so there's a lot of need for those collaborations too. For example, I remember one of uh, one of the inventions in my professor's lab is around you know uh, smart belts to detect fall okay and i was like okay this is great and you see a bunch of wires and i was like okay so let's find a designer who's into belts and how can we hide the wires and make it look nice and let's talk to some italian design companies you know oh yeah <laughs> and 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 those are the kind of things you can kind of tell when you have like a more general open mind so while the world needs specialists, they also need generalists like me who look at things in a multi-dimensional way because at the end of the day, if it's a wearable, if it's a cloth that you wear, if it's a sock you wear, if it's a shoe in sole or even a simple watch you wear, it has to be 
in congruence with your lifestyle. Today, everybody likes to have everything in different colors, different forms. And when you have that one black blocky uh, watch <laughs> to wear, a lot of people don't wear it at many times. So I think uh, there is a need for this. And then the second point is there has never been analysis of designs from the base of gender, let alone uh, looking at what kind of who are designing it, you know. So I feel what you're touching is so important and incredibly crucial. And uh, if, if people listening to this, you have ideas to make watches look more sexy <laughs> and also at the same time useful for us please, again, uh, you can uh, email me or give me a shout out on social media. Um, and and we, uh, we, I'll share it with Shabnam or both of us can, you know, have a conversation with you and get you on the next show. <laughs> oh, so yeah. Shabnam, uh, we've heard about the vision. We've heard uh, uh, the challenges in the ecosystem. And uh, I want to share with the listeners that you're going to be present at the Health 4.0 Summit this year, which is in June. So can you tell me what are your expectations from this summit and what are you contributing towards this summit? Oh, thank you. So I am one of the panelists uh, at uh, this conference. And as I said before, I live in a clinical bubble, you know, so my world of, you know, patients and food and lifestyle and all that. And what I'm really excited about is making connections with people who think way different than me. And I've already started making the connections talking to Namrata. <laughs> so these are my two big ones. And uh, again, going back, I'm just circling back to one of the other challenges I feel, which is again being addressed, I know, mm -hmm. is uh, the validation of some of these devices. So mm -hmm. one is the design element. The other thought I had is not everyone's going to be excited about wearing something which, you know, tracks this and tracks that. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could have something like a, like an estrogen patch, which is, you know, in, in a part of your body, which no one can see. That is another thing. Yes. But the other important thing is validation of these tools. So mm -hmm. talking about validation, now blood pressure is one of the areas that I want to focus on. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people don't think of their blood pressure because blood, high blood pressure doesn't have any symptoms. So that is one of the challenges. And in India, a lot of younger people are getting high, high blood pressure these days. That really bothers me. So blood pressure monitors, now just I think a few days ago I was reading about this, where one of the apps that was being used, when they tried to validate it, it had an 80% error rate. Now, obviously, you cannot use something like that. So validation is another big one. And the other thing is, this is something someone I met at one of the meetup events told me, that a lot of these devices have not been validated in people of color. Mm -hmm. So both Namrata and I are from India, so obviously we have different skin color, mm -hmm. much darker. So apparently many of the devices which use those green and red lights have not been validated in people of color. So that is again going back to the validation part of it. Mm -hmm. So going back to now what I'm looking forward to is making more connections and having more of these interesting conversations. And I'm sure something is going to come out of all of this, Namrata. <laughs> You're going to jump uh, from your chair now. So we have people in our lab working on using video call, like just a video call mm -hmm. and measuring blood pressure from that using computer vision. And then mm -hmm. we are testing it in people with different skin colors. So wow. yes. So what happened is one of my colleagues, his research is heart rate. So different people are doing different. One is doing heart rate, one is doing emotion, one is doing blood pressure, one is doing respiratory rate. So like different scientists are working on different things. 
And one of the things, even the guy with the heart rate was like, okay, so it doesn't work in dark skin, it works this. And so we are, we are working hard to improve precision. And one of the ways to do that is to use deep learning. So that's where AI is going to get integrated in this and to make uh, correction factors for a lot of this. Wow. So th this and more kind of such talks are going to be available at uh, Health 4.0 Summit. And the coordinates for the summit are wwwhealth 4 dot tech numeric four so again www.healthnumeric4.tech so th uh, thank you shabnam so much for this exciting conversation i absolutely loved it and um, i hope to see you soon virtually because the summit is virtual <laughs> thank you namrata it's been a lovely conversation and i am so excited about all the stuff you're talking about thank, thank you. you and bye now bye now <laughs>